Welcome back to another episode of the Global Startup Movement. I'm your host, Andrew Berkowitz. I hope you're having a great close to your 2018. I know I'm super pumped for 2019, and we have three episodes left for this year, but episode one, 2019, we're going to have some big announcements. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, now would be the perfect time so you don't miss the announcement. Now today, I'm joined by an expert in banking and fintech in Nigeria, Dr. Konstantinos Sanis. Dr. Konstantinos is the Chief Transformation Officer at Wema Bank, which is Nigeria's oldest bank, and previously spent time working with Thomson Reuters in the UAE before making his way to Nigeria earlier this year. On this episode, we dive into fintech in Nigeria with some great and unique insights on the perspective of the banking industry and the perspective of regulators. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Konstantinos Sanis, the CTO at Wema Bank. Entrepreneurship has become a global phenomenon. Uncover the stories of entrepreneurs and investors worldwide. From Sub-Saharan Africa to Silicon Valley and beyond. Here on the Global Startup Movement. Now, here's your host, Andrew Berkowitz. So I'm here with Dr. Konstantinos, who is the CTO for Alat by Wema, which is Nigeria and I believe actually Africa's first ever digital bank. Doctor, can you tell us just a little bit about your story? You know, how, how did you end up in Nigeria? And tell us a little bit about what you're working on with a lot. As you told the right, uh, Andrew, I'm based in Lagos right now. I have spent uh, around six years based uh, previously in Dubai, covering all Middle East and Africa with Bloomberg and Reuters, or working on financial innovation projects, this being either testing new products or working with partners to develop products together. So ultimately, that gave me a, quite a good understanding of the emerging technologies and of the main players in the whole region, which covers around 65 countries. And um, as the whole market in Africa is changing, Wema Bank, which is the oldest bank in Nigeria, decided a couple of years ago to launch the first digital bank of Nigeria, this being an Africa as well, this being a lot. And as they were looking around to find experienced people and staff who know the market, they came across me while I was working on a market-wide financial technology project related to the Nigerian bond government auctions. So, uh, so that's how I ended up in Nigeria and what I'm doing, yeah. Got it. I definitely want to kind of deep dive into uh, Nigeria and, and the tech ecosystem. But one, one thing that I think we've had a, a gap on with, with this show in particular is kind of diving into the North Africa region. And I haven't seen a lot of startups that I would say are, are crushing it across that entire region. I'd be curious to hear with your time with, with Thomas, Thomson Reuters and working in the Middle East and the North Africa region, how similar are the markets between Dubai, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and Morocco and the North African countries? So focusing only on the Arab-speaking countries, there are two categories. The first is the GCC countries, this being UAE, Qatar, Kuwait, Oman, Saudi Arabia. And the second is the North African countries, which is Morocco, Egypt, and so on. The main difference in these two different ecosystems is 
population and uh, resources available. To be specific, in GCC, the population is small and there is a lot of gas available because of the oil surplus, while in the GCC, in the North African countries, there is much more population and much less money available. Just to be specific, Egypt, which is one of the North African countries, has 80 million population, while the six countries of the Gulf together, they have 35 million altogether. So, or 40 actually. So, to these results, on both regions are adopting technology, but the GCC is moving much faster simply because they have the money available to create the infrastructure and to invite startups into uh, accelerators and such initiatives. So again, you are very right. There is much more action happening in the GCC because they have the capacity to work and invest more. And then that this is followed from North Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa as well. Now, that's even reflected in the number of unicorns. Within the GCC, there are two or three unicorns this being Karim, which is the Uber for the Middle East, this being Noon.com, which is Amazon of the Middle East, and so on. And then within uh, the whole African continent, there is only one unicorn, this being Jumia, which again is the Amazon of Africa. So as you can see, despite the fact that all GCC is 35 million people, um, a very small region, a whole Africa that is 1.5 billion has only one unicorn and GCC has two unicorns. So here's your one way to assess the market. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super interesting. And one thing that actually surprised me kind of in my initial studying and, and foray into the African markets is that there are actually only, I believe, it's 700 companies across uh, the entire continent that do 500 million in revenue or, or more, exactly. uh, which was actually you know pretty surprising. Um, but I, I think it seems like there's at least some parallels between uh, Nigeria and, and some of the GCC countries, just in terms of the the the, uh, the oil money present and the presence of cash that could potentially flush into uh, in, into the startup ecosystem within the banking community. I mean, how how did how, how are banks viewing the the kind of proliferation of fintech startups in the country? I mean, is I, th- I think a lot of the conversation that we had at the fintech summit was that startups are not a disruptor to the banks, but a a value add layer on top of that infrastructure. But like within the banking community, I mean, is there, is there a general kind of desire to collaborate and and work with some of these fintech startups? So, I'll start by saying that, as you are aware, digital transformation within banking is arriving with a delay compared to other industries, right? E-commerce was digitalized in the 90s and 2000. Other, um, entertainment industry, such as music and so on, had a lot of digital transformation. In banking, it's arriving with a delay globally, right? And it's only the last two, three, four years that we hear banks from uh, the Western world uh, engaging with fintechs. The same pattern is reflected in Nigerian banks. So it's only this, the last couple of years, they have started uh, keeping an eye on fintechs. Now, there are a couple of banks which are ahead and have taken a step to organize accelerators or hackathon or an innovation lab uh, in, ter- in order to engage the community. Or a few others, they have implemented 
niche solutions within the fintech uh, space. For example, Access Bank has adopted robo-advisory. Um, FBN has adopted, is focusing on, the, on uh, stretching herself for the innovation lab. So within the last year, all of the banks have focused on a fintech area, but they have not done that on a typical Western way. In other words, they, ha- they have not approached startups for knowledge exchange, but a lot of them do it in terms of innovation, in terms of CSR and the acts and so on, which means that they don't engage fintech startups uh, only for in order to improve their operations and have knowledge exchange, but instead they do a lot of CSR. They incubate irrelevant uh, sector startups from other sectors, uh, just uh, but, and they do that as an act of uh, CSR. So that's what's happening right now. And of course, uh, as I just told you, you know, if you could put it under the impact that each initiative has had, I think the Alat initiative has had the biggest market impact because more or less everyone is aware of Alat. So it has had quite big market impact compared to other fintech initiatives within Nigeria. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I was on the ground, I think a lot was the most, um, I, I did see UBA launch a, a chatbot, but a lot was kind of the most marketed. But I mean, do, do you think that collaboration and interactions are going to change over the time? Because it seems like one of the doubts or concerns that international venture capital has about about the Nigerian startup ecosystem is just the lack of exits and the lack of potential corporates that can acquire local startups. Uh, I mean, so do, do you kind of foresee the banks starting to collaborate more and more with startups and, and acting as that acquirer over time? Yes, there is interest from regional banks to work and acquire fintech startups. So the local players are recognizing that. However, I think it will take a couple of years more to incorporate this in their operations, simply because still they, even though they claim they understand startups, they don't have the mindset. There is lack of leadership with strong startup understanding at this point. So assuming that there'll be change in the leadership in the, in the next couple of years, then younger executives, they will be willing to go one step further and actually acquire startup. But right now, all leadership is older executives. They have no deep understanding of technologies and it's just a talk happening. However, moving beyond the local context, I agree with you there is, there is a lack of exit. However, again, please keep in mind, Nigeria is a huge market. There are 200, there's around 190 million population. The statistics uh, have a range from 170 to 200 million. But from this, there's, according to other statistics, 60 million is unbanked and 50 million is underbanked. There is a huge opportunity right now. And I use the following example. If Revolut, which is the most successful digital bank, is valued with 2 million, is valued, it has valuation of $2 billion, a lot, with 300,000 customers, you can understand the potential it will have in a less financially developed uh, context. So again, I agree with you, there are no exit. I agree with you, investors are afraid. However, whoever can 
can uh, overcome the big market risks will have, of course, the biggest market returns. And there are different ways to deal with this. And I see other venture capitals adopting them. But again, I think that there's a lot of potential. The VCs are hesitant to, are reluctant to enter. You are right. And as a result, they're entering much smaller and more safe environments, such as Ghana, which is next door, and huge, despite the much lower potential compared to Nigeria, they see a large influx of investors. It is pretty crazy. Just, I mean, first off, how many people just live in, in Lagos alone? I, I get the same impression that Ghana is kind of the more, we'll say, safer investment or safer bet than the Nigeria in terms of the, the perception of international capital. But I, I do think that's something that's changing. One thing I'd be curious to hear from you when it comes to, because I saw when I got back to DC, the Central Bank of Nigeria announced uh, capital restrictions for, for fintech startups. I don't, I don't remember exactly what the number was. Yeah, they required maybe $250,000 uh, $250, for a fintech license. Yeah. Got it. So, I mean, I'd be curious just to hear your thoughts on what policies or, or you know, for, for just from the central bank or from the, the public side of things, what policies can be enacted to maybe create a better environment for local startups and ease uh, the, some of the fears that inter- international capital might have? Yeah. So, Investors and people have to understand a very important difference that you know, that everyone is aware of, right? That in all this emerging economy, in the MENA region, including Gulf countries, North African, Sub-Saharan African countries, the role of the government is disproportionately higher than the Western economies. So it is a much more, much bigger, uh, the regulator has much bigger responsibility to help the development of a healthy ecosystem. And I was lucky enough to experience the positive role of the regulator in my UAE experience, where with Thomson Reuters, we engaged in blockchain projects with the government, in different projects with the government-owned entities, and things like that. So I have engaged personally with a, a regulator that enable a much more engaging environment. Now, speaking about Nigeria and Africa, You have to keep on mind that we speak about totally different cultures, right? There is much less trust on everything. The operating infrastructure is much less enabling. And also because of distrust to everything and so on, the society is much more hierarchical. So every decision on anything new happening, it tends to have a very suboptimal approach. That obviously can be reflected from the fact that Nigerian government decided in order to give startup licenses to, to put a, a limit to $250,000 uh, as initial capital. Now, what we have seen previously, because this decision for any specialist around the world, he will tell you it doesn't make sense, of course, because how can you actually, that, discar- that discourages a lot the formation of teams and especially in a, in a developing economy. So again, what we have however have seen similar decisions which let's say don't make don't make much sense in Western uh, logic, I have seen being taken and after six months they are being revoked or edited. 
So my response to the investors for such decisions would be be patient because this is not a realistic decision and they will be enforced to take out this cap. But I think the ultimate reason that they did that is because they were given last weeks, the last couple of weeks, a couple of mobile banking licenses to telcos such as MTN and Airtel, which is a first actually to the most of the world, like telcos to get banking licensing themselves. Uh, or anyway, it's one of the first companies in the world. So again, I think there will be further edits to the regulation and it will refer to digital banking licenses and not any fintech license. Yeah, the issuance to MTN, I mean, that's a big deal. It was right after the big fine. Yeah. Anyways, when it comes to a lot, the consumer market in Nigeria, outside of Lagos, I mean, what what would you say are the cities or the states that you know, maybe most excite you in terms of the market potential for, for a lot? The largest number of unbanked or underbanked people is on the north of the country. So again, if we would be able to make some people uh, which, you know, don't have, don't have access to a branch in, in, in a, uh, you know, they need to go at least two, three, two, three hundred miles to find um, to find the branch. Uh, so if we enable all these people to transact digitally through either future phones or smartphones, this will be the ultimate success story of a lot. So these are the most interesting markets for me, and they are the north of the country. Is there either an opportunity, a challenge, or what about, I guess, making the software or the, the processes uh, Sharia compliant? I mean, is that... A, a big concern for kind of winning a, a lot of that market? Uh, no, it's not as such. It's not the the um, the problem is that the, the there is no. It's not like that. It's traditionally the large banks find quite unprofitable to have the unbanked clients because they are on remote areas and they need a lot of help and guidance. So there is operation. There is physical costs, operation costs, and also staff costs. Right, but if you can and onboard them uh, through remote agents and use your app, this uh, makes a change. So again, the reason is because the large, the, all the banks found much more profitable to give corporate loans and loans to high net worth individuals and they right. ignore the rest of the market. Right now, what are the biggest lending sectors in, in, in the country? Always corporate lending to large corporates with very high rates. And then some high net worth individuals and the upper middle class. But is that changing? Because I, I just feel like, you know, there's, there would have to be a lot of potential with agribusiness and smaller SMEs, and that would unlock a lot of liquidity in the, in the economy. So you are right. There is a clear, I mean, there is a huge opportunity in SME lending. And as a result, there are startups focusing on different ways of SME financing. This can be supply chain finance or simple loans or even P2P and so on. So uh, this area is attracting a lot of interest across whole Africa. And uh, yes, SME lending is a huge opportunity. But again, you have to understand SMEs are 
we speak about a, a country where perhaps the 80% of the SMEs does not even have a formal license. It's an informal SME, right? So they are other, without any formal credit history. So we speak about totally different uh, nature of SMEs. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that also kind of lends more to the conversation of there's, there's plenty of opportunities for fintech startups to, to fill in those gaps and be a value add layer on, on top of banks. But we're going to finish off with a quick fire round, four questions up to 60 seconds per answer. How does that sound? Sounds great. So start us off with what is your favorite bar or restaurant in Lagos? So my favorite bar in Lagos is Ciro. It is the closest to what, you know, would be similar to Zuma in New York or any high-end Japanese restaurant. This is where we went with my team to celebrate uh, the 300,000 users of Alat around one month ago. Beautiful. So outside of Nigeria, where is your favorite place to, to visit or, or to vacation? I'm originally from Greece, and the place where my family comes from is called is the island of Skiathos, where they made the Mamma Mia movie. So as you can imagine, my hometown is a very touristic place, and it's very nice for holiday every summer, so that's my, that's my preference. What is your favorite business book or book about startups? I always like to refer back to the business model generation because... Uh, I don't know if you, are, if you know this book, but it's essentially it's a very comprehensive guide and can help more or less in any decision I take in the other organization. So whenever I have to take a difficult decision, I take a step back, I open the business model generation book, I see different approaches on, on, probs, on problem solving, and it helps me a lot to remember my startup attitude. Right. Well, I mean, I, I know about the business model canvas concept. I don't know that I've heard. Who, who, who's the author of, of that book? The, the author is the same of the business model canvas. Oh, okay. Is Alexander Osterwalder. I got yeah. it, got it. Awesome. And final question is, what is your favorite thing about living in Lagos? Uh, look, Nigerian people are very happy, are very smart, and it's a very challenging environment. So because of the fact that it's a very challenging environment, there, there are areas that have a huge impact. As I told you earlier, 60 million unbanked, 50 million underbanked. So my favorite thing is to see every day realizing the potential that digital banking can, and the change can bring to the world. That's career-wise. And personal-wise, the simplicity and happiness of Nigerian people. It's really amazing every morning. Do your morning around to the gym and see people that you don't know smiling at you and embracing you. I love that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thanks for listening. Be sure to add Andrew on Snapchat at andberk, that's A-N-D-B-E-R-K, to see firsthand a day in the life of an entrepreneur in cities all around the world. 